Well, that visual and reading of Matthew just completed it. We're at the end of the book of Matthew. And it has been a pleasure to be uh, studying that great gospel account with you guys. And uh, as we uh, finish out today in verses 16 through 20, uh, we kind of reminisce that uh, we were looking at... um, the very birth of Christ, how he qualified to be the king coming through the kingly line. And Matthew proved that. And uh, we saw the life of Christ and the ministry of Christ. Uh, We concentrated on quite a few months on his death and burial. And then the last couple of weeks we looked at uh, the all-important resurrection. And now after uh, getting the account from Matthew, there's one thing left. There it is. Um, we left off last week with the bribery of the soldiers and how that actually uh, came into play because he resurrected and they didn't know what to do with it. And uh, so we have them um, telling a lie. They take the money and uh, they do as they were told and they reported it amongst the Jews. And that story still exists today that uh, his body was stolen by the disciples. Um, Now, after hearing all of these things, this one thing left is take with what you have learned of Jesus through his birth and life and death and burial and resurrection and all of his ministry that he did. We now have something to do with this. And that's at the very last part of Matthew. He just doesn't say, okay, that's it, and uh, I'll see you in heaven. Uh, he tells them what they're to do while they're here. And uh, we're to take good news. This is, this is good news, isn't it? This Matthew is called what? The Gospel of Matthew, which means good news. We have just experienced the good news studying through here. Uh, we have families. We have neighbors. We have co-workers. And anybody that we come into contact with, we need to show the good news. First of all, by the way we live our life, but then also using our mouths to tell what happened to us as they uh, examine us. We just can't keep this to ourselves. What would have happened if the disciples would have kept this good news to themselves? Well, that would have been it. There wouldn't have been anything else. That's it. Jesus dies, resurrects, goes to heaven. Apostles die. They go to heaven and then no church. Can you imagine that? That was not going to happen. If it had been humanly possible, that probably would have happened. The church would have just died out. But it's a supernatural thing that God kept the church going and He'll keep it going despite even its weaknesses. And that's that's a fact. Jesus said that uh, nothing is going to come up against this church. And anything that we uh, bring forth into the world, it's going to knock down fortresses. Uh, What he wants to do, he's going to do. So we're held accountable now for what we have learned as we look at this. The apostles were held accountable for uh, experiencing the person of Jesus Christ in their lives for the last three years. And he's been preparing them. Now it's getting close to time. We don't know when he ascends. But it's shortly after this this time period. 
uh, he has this one last set of instructions, and he has a commandment here. They have no option, but they are commanded. They're to go teaching people to obey the commands of the Lord. Everyone in the whole world is commanded to repent and believe. It's not an invitation that God gives. It's a command that everyone should repent. We know that everyone is not going to repent, but that's the command that we are to give. And that's what was done in the early church, and it's continued to do that. So we have a a big part to play in this redemption plan, this story that God has. A huge plan that God has, and we're in it. We're in this. And if you remember in 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says that we have the ministry of reconciliation. You may not have ever considered yourselves as a minister, but it means servant. And you are a minister. You have this ministry of reconciliation. What is that? To reconcile one who is astray and has no peace with God. And now you're to minister to them that there is peace with God if they would trust in Him and the sacrifice that He's done for them and repent of their sins and confess that and trust. So we have that plan that God has given us, and that's our story. We're to reconcile people back to God. We're like priests. Have you ever thought of it that way? We're the go-between between man and God. Although Jesus is the mediator, we've also been made priests, as it says in Peter. Uh, what a privilege it is. We are a means that he uses to do that plan with. He uses us. We're the means. Along with his word of God, along with his spirit of God, we're, we're part of that. That's incredible. You really think about it. When you take this whole story that Matthew has presented, and he says, okay, now you, here in 2009, in April, it's today, the 19th, we still have that same command that he gave them at that time in Matthew, the apostles. We have too. I mean, that's quite thought-provoking. Um, the main thing that we are to do is what? Worship God. Uh, the, the highest way that we can give glory to God is worship. But a close second is obeying the commands of God, and that's evangelizing. We are not hyper-Calvinists, which do not believe in evangelizing. We believe in evangelizing. We believe in giving good news. That's the supreme mission of the church after we have worshipped. And that is a part of worship, when we are telling good news. Um, the Lord has given us quite a work. He said in John seventeen eighteen that great prayer, um, the night that he uh, got arrested, just before that, he prayed for the disciples and he prayed for us and he said this, As thou hast sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And he says in John twenty twenty one, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So it's not that we just come here to church, or come to Bible study, and that's what we do, and then uh, we just live out the rest of our lives. No, we, we have a top priority to worship God and then to be witnesses of Him wherever we're at. And that's, that's the whole point that he's telling them. Although we're not apostles, we've not been uh, given that office because that office is done, it's completed. But we do have the completed Word of God. And the instructions are all here. So we, uh, first of all, look at the appointed meeting. And um, 
we see that the disciples are attending an appointment that Jesus had given them. We look in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, there they are. They went there. He's been telling them to meet there. This has like been an advertisement all over the place. All the ones who had followed him, or many of them, now are going to meet him up in Galilee on a mountain. And they're there available. And that's what Christians are to be. We're to be available. Be available to whatever God is calling you to do. Be available. In this situation, they don't know exactly what he's going to say. But he has a great commission to give them. Uh, that's what this is called. It, when you have mission, we know we have a mission to do, right? And it's not impossible. The impossible mission. It's not that, is it? It is possible by his power. Uh, but it's a co-mission. That means to work with. We have a mission with. We have a mission with the rest of the church. We have a mission with the Holy Spirit his power, we have a mission with Jesus Christ, don't we? That's why it's called a co-mission. This is an important meeting that he has with them. The ones who are obedient to the Lord at this time that came to that mountain, they're going to get blessed. They're going to get blessed with seeing the risen Lord again and then hearing some of his final instructions while he's here on earth. Wouldn't you want to be there? If, If you'd been following him and you knew where he was at, wouldn't you want to go? I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't wait. It, nothing would hold you back. And I'd hope it would be that way, right? Well, anytime God's people get together, it's an opportunity, isn't it? We want to be obedient to gather, to gather around Christ's instructions and his blessings. Or uh, elsewise, we will miss those blessings. Well, he appointed them. And he's uh, done this several times. If we were to look just back, just uh, a chapter, two back, uh, 26, chapter 26, verse 32. And Peter had denied the Lord. Uh, Jesus had even pr- predicted that, and that's where we're at here, where he was, he was predicting that uh, Peter would uh, run away from him. They all will be. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, he's already made the appearance to the eleven, and on the, the, the ten, and then Thomas the next week, the eleven there, to some of the women he had made his appearance. And that was back in Jerusalem. Remember, that's where all this happened, uh, the, the death, burial, and resurrection. But he said later on, shortly after that, he was going to go to Galilee and make an appearance before a whole ton of people. Uh, we know in Acts it talks about 500 brethren. 500 people. That's a pretty good crowd. And that would be enough to witness to the fact that he's alive. If you have the witnesses of the disciples, okay, well, they're the ones that followed him and the women, you know, they're just hallucinating. They're just making the story up. But if you have 500 people, and a lot of them were still living when Matthew wrote this, let's say within 30 years, now you've got something. Some of them were, had died within that time, but most of them were still around. They could tell you about their resurrection too. 
When you have 500 witnesses or something, you have proof, don't you? How many witnesses do you need in court? Two? 500? Okay, really important. Uh, if we look in Matthew 28, verse 7. And go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Now this is an angel telling uh, at this time um, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, you know, they came to the tomb and such, and then they, the um, guards are shaking with fear, and uh, here you have the angels. Then they come and tell that he's risen. Uh, by the way, he's going to be going to Galilee. That's, that's the big appearance that he's going to have. So he said that before. The angel said, uh, hey, uh, he's going to go there. Uh, in verse 10, same chapter, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. This is after the appearances in Jerusalem. Tell everybody. Tell them all that I'm going to be there. And uh, I'm sure he told them exactly when that was going to be because they, they gathered there. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15.6, I mentioned that earlier because it's about the gospel. And it's about the witnesses of the gospel. And in 15.6, it says, After that, we know he is seen by Cephas, and then by the, the twelve, the, the group of the apostles. After that, he was seen by over 500, over 500 brethren at once. It wasn't just one person here and there. He didn't hide in the corners telling this gospel story. You know, you get one person at a time. There was a whole group of, of people of whom the greater part remained to the present. But some have fallen asleep. Most of them are alive around 60 A.D., 63 A.D., somewhere around there. Some are, some are dead, but you can go to them. People will tell you. And then after that, he was seen by James, which happens to be the half-brother, and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me. This is Paul writing this. As by one born out of due time. He was on the road to Damascus. He saw the risen Lord in his physical flesh. That's, that was a requirement for an apostle to, uh, to be an apostle. They had to see the risen Lord. So there's a public meeting. Great many followers there. It's quite a distance from Jerusalem. It's going to take you a little bit to get there. It's up on the mountain. We don't know where it is. It could be the Mount of Transfiguration. It could be other places. Uh, it's good to get away from Jerusalem because there's too many enemies there. Let's go up into a little quieter area. Let's go to the place where I am most familiar at. Let's go to the place where I did most of my ministry up in Galilee. I say up because that's north. They would speak, you know, when you're going up to Jerusalem, but that was actually south of Galilee, but up the mountains. Uh, so these followers, some of them are confused. Um, they've heard the story. Most of those 500 hadn't even seen him. They've heard about him and that there's a resurrection, but some of them have doubts. And isn't that legitimate for people to have doubts? I don't know. I'll have to see him. There's a lot of Thomases out there, you know, just like him. And, you know, I'm, I'm a person who's pretty skeptical on most things, it seems like. I would probably be one of those persons, oh, I have to see this. Uh, somebody resurrecting from the dead, how can I believe this? Uh, I'll check it out. Uh, so anyway, 
You have all these followers. And some of these people in Galilee are not the intellectual elite of the nation of Israel. We're not talking the um, Supreme Court people here, although there could have been some there. You have to think of or somebody like Nicodemus, or who knows, Joseph of Arimathea. We're, we're not giving uh, given a list of names here. But most of the people in Galilee are not really influential. They're fishermen, they're farmers. Um, but that's the ones who the Lord wants to be witnesses of him here. And that's the ones who are there. Uh, it's probably at least 15 days after the resurrection, and maybe even more. We don't know exactly when this is, but this probably is between 20 days to 35 days, because it still takes a time to get there. We know there was the night that he appeared to the, uh, the ten, the apostles. Then the next week, same time, it was uh, Thomas there, uh, so they have some traveling to do. It's near the end of that 40 days that he, uh, he keeps appearing throughout. There was a time when Peter uh, was um, kind of reinstated to his ministry whenever the Lord told him three times, Peter, do you love me? Right? And that might have been be- before this. But it could be all the way up to maybe 35 days after the resurrection. He has to ascend from where? Jerusalem. It was the Mount of Olives is where his ascension is at. And we know that when we find it in the, the book of Acts. So um, this kind of gives you a time period, two, three weeks, three and a half weeks after the resurrection has already happened when this is going on. Now, the, the most important thing that they do when they go up there as they were appointed, 17 says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. They saw him. First thing they do is bow down. Start worshipping. They were adoring the Lord. They came in humility when they saw him there. They were worshipping the very Son of God. And if you had known that he had resurrected, whether you had seen him or not, whether you had heard about it probably... Now you see him. What would you do? That is one we'd want to fall before. Fall on our face, whatever, to, to, to bow down. This is the risen Lord. This is incredible. This is the most amazing thing that has happened to anybody in this world. Resurrected from the dead and there he is. So they're worshiping him. They know that he has proven that he is God. They are in awe and they recognize the very divine excellencies of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine seeing Jesus Christ raised? One of these days we will see Him as He is. You guys look forward to that, don't you? I mean, you will have never experienced or seen anything like that when that happens. When you see Him in His glory, we are going to be in total awe. There's only one thing we can do. Worship. That's what life is about anyway. Um, You remember when the disciples worshipped Him when He walked on the water? When He did something that was supernatural? In Matthew 14.33, whenever they saw what He did, 
and the wind just ceased in that great storm, then those who were in the boat came and worshipped Him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Wow, can you imagine that? How about in John 20, verse 28? And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. He attested to his deity because he resurrected, he knew that he was resurrected. He reached his finger there, he said, Look at my hands, Jesus said, Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas then came back, My Lord and my God. All eyes had to be focused on Christ and nothing else. You know, in these bodies here that we have, we focus on Christ. Every day we should start the day saying, Lord, help me to focus on you. But sometimes our focus gets off of Him. And that's what happens in these bodies that we're in as we're in the world. The temptations come or the struggles or just daily issues of life. And we kind of forget about Him. It's not that we completely forget about Him, but we're just kind of thinking about all those things. And really, the ultimate is to be just dwelling upon His greatness. 1 Corinthians 2.2, Paul had this attitude that, that we should have. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. I didn't come in there with some great philosophy, my own Speaking, it says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, that means a whole story of the gospel. That means a whole story of the Bible and everything. That's, that's what this is about, isn't it? It's about Christ. And it's, uh, you know, all this good news. And so Paul was focused upon the very truth of God about Christ crucified. Philippians 3.10. Again, Paul relates this as he tells people, hey, listen, look at all the person that I was, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Benjamite. I mean, if anybody was at the top of a heap as far as Jews were concerned, I was it. And he says, you know what? Now, you know what? I look at that and I look at all those credentials I had. It was nothing. Matter of fact, it was trash. It was rubbish. It was religion that was totally worthless. It was manure, if you really want to get down to what that word means. I counted it for a loss. But then he says in verse 9, And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And here we go. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Knowing Christ. And that great power, wouldn't you want to know more and more about that power that raised him from the dead? And then the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Boy, did Paul do that? Did he conform to the very death of Christ? All through the sufferings that he had. Mm. But that's, that's talking about being focused on the person of Christ. Now, there were people believing this. And you've got some people who are a little slower. These people were doubting, and because uh, it says in 17, but when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I just can't believe this. I, I just, this 
I know there are people here. I know that looks like him. I just, I really have difficulty with this. Can you imagine? It's going to be some people that way. And this is what's amazing about the Word of God. It tells the truth the way it is. You would think that in a witness testimony of this, that Matthew would have said, and everybody there believed. Or they came and worshipped him and be done with that. But then some doubted. And you think, well, with this great resurrection, they're appearing everybody. Everybody would have been believing. Well, people are, are human. People are imperfect. And we see imperfect people all throughout the Scripture. There's only one perfect. And we always have to be mindful of that. We are imperfect. We struggle to get perfection. And we always want something that is better. Well, there's a reason for that. God has put that in us that at some time, one day, we will have perfection. We will reach total maturity, perfection as considered to where we're at now. We're striving for that now, but we know that we can't get it in these sinful bodies. People are human. They're imperfect. Most had heard that he was alive. They have no doubt that the story is being brought out. Man, this is hard to believe. I just can't. I mean, risen from the dead. And so therefore, I think this is the honesty of Scripture. They're not totally convinced. They're weak in their faith. They're wavering. Have you been there? Been weak in your faith? You ever wavered? We do that. Jesus came up to these people. Look at this. Right? There in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them. That means he walked over there. I think he went right to the ones who were doubting. Maybe they were... The crowd of 500 is pretty big. Okay? Maybe they were seeing him at a distance, 100 feet, 100 yards. All of a sudden, he's right there. Almost in your face. The glory of God is right there. That was it. That's him. He came near and gave a convincing proof, I believe. I know it says that, that they doubted. Um, but I tend to think those ones who were there that were uh, told to go there, that were commanded there, I think that's the ones that had to be there to see this, along with the other ones. He speaks. I don't think there's any more doubt. They saw his face. They heard his voice. And they held on to what was true. Right there. I, You know, what would make a believer out of people? Oh, God. Because I think in all of us, I know, all of us would, none of us would believe. He'd be right there in front of our face. We would not believe that He is God. Unless He revealed it to us. Father in Heaven has to do that, doesn't He? So, there we see that He appointed them to do this. Now we come to the, the authority that Christ has in verse 18. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, that's quite a claim. Any madman could say that. Any man who's just joking around could say that. Liars can say that. But 
somebody who rose from the dead now is saying, I have authority. Would you argue with anybody on that? Matter of fact, it's all authority. And it's all authority on heaven and earth. I mean, completely. Not just nation of Israel. In Galilee, we're talking about everywhere. Over all the span of time for mankind. He's the one that has authority. This, this word, exousia, for authority, means he has the freedom. He has the right to do with whatever he wants to do. And we as Christians, we know that. That's basic. That's simple. A lot of people really struggle with that, though. He is the one who truly has free will. We don't. We submit to His will. And as we do that, now we have a will that is free. It's set free so now that we can serve Him. Whereas before, we couldn't serve Him. We didn't want to serve Him. We could not. We would not. And His resurrection definitely proved His power. If you look in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, you have Paul writing this great epistle and right at the very front of it, speaking of this, Jesus Christ our Lord, seed of David, came in the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. Out of the dead is the idea there. He came from out of the dead. Man, that is authority backed up, isn't it? So he's not some lunatic, he's not some liar, but he's got all the proof that he'd ever need. Now, the enemies of Jesus, they don't really have a word to say. There are no enemies here at this particular time, but um, they're trying. They're lying about it. They're covering it up. And he defeated all the enemies at the cross. Now, the enemies are still here. He still has to come back. He is Lord right now, but for all to commit to him and see him as Lord, it's going to take that action. So it is done. There is a kingdom that we're in, but there also is the kingdom to come, which is even going to be better. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, boy, that, that's powerful to, to realize that people will submit to his authority uh, in, in that way. Uh, he had power before as he was doing his ministry here on earth. But this power is now all power. All power. All authority. He's, uh, it's, it's been established. That should mean to us that we have an attitude of submission. That word has really been dismissed in the language of our day. If you say that word, people really kind of hesitate to be around you. Submit. We're past that age. Right? And you can see it how it submission works in the church. Submission works in the government. Submission works in the home. Now that's what people don't like. 
People don't like the fact that the man who is to be the godly man is to rule in the home and the wife is to submit in a very loving way as the husband loves his wife. And that's the way it's set up. But that is not the teaching of the world today. That is far from it. We have forgotten what submission... We don't know what submission is here in this country. We are... uh, a democracy, a republic, uh, we don't have a king we bow to, and we've gotten to the point that we don't even want to submit uh, to the authority that the government has set forth. If we can get around the laws and the rules that has been made, then we'll do it for our own convenience. We don't want to submit to anybody. We want to rule our own lives. The fact of the matter is, that's not true. We cannot. We have, there are certain things that God has set up that we are to submit Romans 13, submit to the government. Ephesians 5, submit. Um, and, and I see a double submission, I guess, in a sense, too, that the husband has to love his wife. Otherwise, he's not going to get submission from, from his wife. The husband has to love her and take care of her. She will submit. As she submits, then he will. And, and you know what it means? It means there's going to be an equality there. When there is a disagreement, then they can, they can work this out There's still a rule there, but it's a biblical submission, not some authority where the husband's there beating his wife and he's wearing a white beater shirt, you know, sitting out there. Give me another beer, you know. (laughs) And that's what I think some people think that submission is. And that's a horrible picture of submission. That's not what it is. We're talking about a sweet, beautiful, biblical submission that God has set forth, not what the world is telling us what it is. So it's a good thing. And it works that way. But He is Lord. We all submit to Him. And nobody would take advantage of that situation if they're submitted to the Lord. So therefore, husbands can't go around doing whatever they want to their wives. Did you know in in, uh, Muslim theology that the women are considered to be slaves? Uh, Might as well call them animals. The husbands treat them like animals. They are nothing more than slaves to them. And... um, American women here in this country are considered even worse. They look at women, and pardon my language here, but they look at women as whores. That's part of their theology because they don't like the way that they dress and they are not for Allah. We could tell you some terrible things. I've even talked to people who uh, have related the story back to where their daughters, and we've had somebody at, at our church before mention this, uh, their daughter was married to uh, one of the Islamic faith. And he just wooed her and wowed her here in America, coming from uh, an institution here, took her to the nation where he lived. He beat her, put her in a, in a total submission in that thought, and she could not, they don't drive cars. They don't have any kind of freedom to do anything. Basically, except for what their husband tells them to do. That's what they think of women. They're on a very low scale. They, but they actually have the opportunity to take any woman they want as long as they get sent uh, write a, a written agreement. So therefore, they can take the whores of America here, and all women here are that way, they say. So therefore, they have them sign an agreement and then they take them on and, and that's 
for, so they can they can have all the sex that they want. You see, this is an evil, evil religion that uh, Islam is, and they're building mosques every day here in our country, and um, I think they have quite an authority here now, as they are playing a big part in shutting up Christians. If you say certain words, uh, it's not good to say, but you, they are um, teaching Islam in a Kansas City school, public school, but you can't do anything with Christianity there. But Islam, they teach them the, the five basic things. They teach them about what prayer is. Um, and then I'm sure they will instruct them that... Um, you know, women here in America uh, do not have any idea why they would ever marry into that is called ignorance. And that's sad. Now, why did I get into that? I'm not so sure except for submission, right? Now, that's the submission that we're not talking about. And that's an ungodly submission. Anyway, um, if you look in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21... Talking about the power of God which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come. He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church which is His body, the fullness of Him. Who fills all in all. This is the sovereign God. And it was granted to the Son by the Father. The Father gave him authority. He had it at one time. But he emptied himself, it says in Philippians 2, 9, uh, and in that area, 6, verse 6 through 11. But he emptied himself of some of that power. Limited. He's still God. But... Uh, we know that he was given back the power, and it's absolute power, it's universal power. He had demonstrated his authority all throughout his ministry, hadn't he? We remember whenever he raised people back to life, a resuscitation, you could say, is what happened there. Uh, you can Im imagine the, the lame being able to walk, and the blind being able to see, all those things that he did there, what kind of power he had there. How about the power that he had to forgive sins? Quite an awesome display that he did. In Acts 2.36, Peter talks about this Lord, one who has power after he gave this great message. And he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. God, the Father, made him what? Lord. We don't make Him Lord. We don't make Him anything. God the Father made Him Lord. So therefore, that rhetoric that we hear today, come on, rededicate your life. Commit yourself to the Lord and make Him Lord of your life now that you've been saved. Have you heard of that? He's already Lord. He's already Lord. God made Him Lord and King and Sovereign over all authority. Uh, Acts 10.36 Early in the church. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. 
He is Lord of all. Lord of all. Everything. John 17, first two verses, the great prayer for all of his believers. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, and your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. He has the power to give eternal life to people. And he has all authority over all flesh. Disciples needed to know this. They needed to know that he had all the authority and they were now going to be given the power to take the gospel to the lost people of the world. Imagine that without even being afraid. When you go up against religions like Muslims, you have the power to give them the truth. And there are Muslims that are becoming saved, coming right into the church. Because they're set free. Why are they going out committing suicide? You know, the, the suicide bombers. Why are they doing that? That's the only hope they have. To get their reward. If the only hope they had are, you know, as they're living here, I wouldn't want to live here either. I think that's why there's so many of them killing themselves. Just unbelievable. Who gave them that message? The enemy. Satan is working behind all other religions, isn't he? Now the command is given to the disciples. I think they would have been totally overwhelmed as Jesus is saying, okay, listen. I'm going to be around for a few more days. I'm going to ascend to the heavens. I'm leaving it to you guys. You do it now. You do what I've been doing for three and a half years. You've watched me now. You guys do it. <laughs> what would you have thought? Oh, my. I can't do this. I can't do what you were doing. You, you've got to be here with us. Well, he, he's saying here that uh, this is to be taken to all the nations. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. You do it. You, you have the authority. I'm giving you this authority that you, you do. This is given to us too. Take note of that. We want to have such an attitude of humility and submission to this great authority. When you think of Him being the King of the universe, and you're serving Him, and He's given you official instructions, and He's written it down, and you have it there. You have the notes with you. Every day, it's right there. Okay, you say, I, I want to submit to His authority here. Jesus has all authority. Because He has done that. He has the right to command you whatever He wants. Is that right? He, and He will equip you with everything you need to obey all of His commands. Before, you didn't have that. He said repent, but you couldn't do it. Then He gives you the power. Now when He gives the command, you can do it. You have the ability. You now have the choice to do that. So He says go. Now we come to the third one here. The command of Jesus. Verse 19 and 20. First word, go. Maybe not necessarily the verb that we think of. It's kind of like as you go or going. It's in that format. Uh, we're not to wait, though. We're not just to sit around and wait. He says, go. He's talking about now. You know, 
as you're going. Now, they're just not, you know, we're not going to have people, and we obviously know that, we're not going to have people just flood into our doors and just come on in. I don't think that's ever happened, unless it was by accident. People are not going to come to us. For the most part, they don't come to churches. If they do, it's because of some kind of entertainment aspect or something. It's not, they're not going to come to listen to the Word of God and pray and, and uh, sing the, you know, these songs. Maybe they like the music or something. But, you know, don't expect that to happen. Because it won't. Never has. People are not going to be waltzing into the door. Oh, yeah, come on in, come on in. We want to realize we have to be out there. We have to be there. We have to be among them. We have to be telling them. Um, He's not talking about just a small group of people that were to go. He's not just talking about the disciples and apostles doing that or the leaders in the church. Yeah, I want the pastor and, and the elders and the deacons. I want them to go on out there. The rest of you guys, just be quiet. You know, don't do anything. <laughs> just, you know, live out the truth. No, no, no. This is to everybody. We all have this ministry of reconciliation. As you're going, the responsibility of every believer. Are you ashamed of the good news that you have? Are you ashamed of that? Well, I certainly hope not. Sometimes our humanness, we sure are. But we shouldn't be. I mean, we've got the eternal news. So he says, okay, as you go, therefore, because of this, because of my authority now, you go and make disciples. Make disciples. The word is mathatuo. And it's a kind of a a double-worded word, I guess, in the Greek. And it's dealing with learning. And it's also dealing with obedience. And so, as you have this responsibility, uh, you learn. It's dealing with follow. To learn, to follow. Uh, to do this. To obey. If you look in John eight thirty one, this is quite a commitment, isn't it? Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed on Him. This is before the resurrection, early in His ministry. But there were people who were believing on him. But in John 2, he had already said he knew what their hearts were about. So a lot of people believing because of his miracles and that he is something special. But a lot of those people really weren't true believers. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you live in my word, abide, live Stick around. If you do that, it will show that you really are true. That you are disciples. Disciples are learners. They are followers. They are obedient. And the next verse says this. And everybody knows this. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. And there is free for us. Now we have a free will to obey Him. We didn't before. There's our freedom. When you know the truth, when you know Christ, and you live in His Word. And so here is where I have to, as a pastor, ask you this question and act like I'm talking to each one of you personally. Are you living in His Word? 
Because that's how you show that you're a true disciple. Is this what you commit your life to? Are you in the Word? Are you thinking about it? Are you hearing it? Are you hearing messages if nothing else, if you don't have time? Do you, do you pop a CD into your car? Or when you get home, do you, do you listen to that? Do you, do you get into the Word and read a chapter at least a night? If you've forgotten about that, remember, to show that you're a true disciple, you want to be living in this Word. This is where it's at. This is what it is about because this is Him. This is who you really are. So remember that. That was quite a statement that Jesus said. If you really are His, if you're a disciple, if you're a learner, if you're a follower, if you're obedient, right? Truth makes you free. Did you like that truth? A, a, a disciple attached himself to his teacher. And so when he says, go and make disciples, it's like saying a disciple is one who knows who the teacher is. He identifies with that teacher, that rabbi. They'd have rabbis then and people would follow those rabbis. When Rabbi Jesus came along, people attached themselves to him. They knew who he was. They identified with him. They learned from him. That's a mathetus, mathetus. And they lived with him, abide in my word. So they learned from him. They lived from him. And they learn by listening and obeying. So that's the idea behind this Mapatuo. You, you, um, you take this seriously. You read it. You listen to him. And you learn it. And then you do it. You, know, you live it and you learn it and you do it. Now, that's a true disciple. That's the kind of people we want to make. Disciples. Not just tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ, say a little prayer and say, oh, you're saved, and then go on. That's not what evangelism is, as many as will say. And then they pop it in there. It's almost like they have a counter on their belt. There's another one. Oh, I went and saved ten people last night. They went to their door, rang the doorbell, and said, well, I'm glad they're going out. Ring the doorbell. Nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But to uh, because people said a prayer with them, hey, Jesus loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, and would you like to say this prayer with me? Yeah. Well, just repeat after me these words. Boom. It's like they're saved. You ever heard such a thing in Scripture? It sounds like it's right. Saying the sinner's prayer? That can be okay, but where are we to really get to that? What are we to tell them? We have to confront them with the law and how they've offended a holy God. We have to present who God is. And then when they say, oh my, I'm a liar, I'm a thief, I'm an adulterer. Whether you did those things or not, it doesn't matter. Jesus says, if you think these things. So everybody has committed against his law. And when they see his holiness and they're fearful and they're trembling, now you have the good news to come in and be the salve, the ointment. And if they like that good news, they say, yeah, that's the only place I can throw myself upon on his mercy. That's the kind of thought that we are to give them. A true disciple will have a new nature. The rich young ruler. Jesus could have given those three little steps and said the sinner's prayer to him, but he did not, did he? What did he do? He got him to the point where he knew exactly where he is at, and this man could not follow Jesus because he was hung up on his what? His riches. He was hung up on everything that he had done. And he says, there must be something I can do. Jesus said, okay, I'm going to show you what you can do. Show me how real you are. Give up everything. Sell it. And then come and follow me. Be a disciple. 
Give up all that that you have, your, your ruling and uh, your, your money and, and everything. And by the way, you may not be very young after you start following me and living out on the road. <laughs> uh, he couldn't do it. Make disciples. Matthew 4.19, way back there, way back, very early in his ministry, he chooses the apostles. And in chapter 4, verse 19, says something real important. And he uses an illustration. They're fishermen, right? Then he said to them, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately lift their nets and followed him. They weren't like the rich young ruler. They left their business, their occupation, their way of making money, their sole way, and just left it all and followed him, trusted him that whatever was going to come about it was. That's a hard thing to do. Jesus is not exactly telling us to, hey, you've got to quit your, your job and give up your house and everything. But that was what held that man back, though. That was his problem. Uh, but here he says, I'll make you fishers of men. By the way, when you go out and fish, do you know do you know where all the fish are at? You may think you do, right? That's the reason you're out there. But you're hoping you catch a, a lot of fish that day. And you try to go to the right place. And that, that's pretty important, too. You go to the wrong place, you waste your time. You want to go to some place where you think they'll be biting. And so it is when we're around people and we think that, hey, this is an opportunity. This is a great opportunity to, to um, share something here. Just ask them, hey, do you have any spiritual interest? And they say, no. Well, I'd stop. Okay. I won't go any further. What happens if you could say, hey, do you, do you have any kind of spiritual interest at all? And they say, yeah, I, I, I kind of have. I kind of thought it through my life, you know. That gives you an opportunity to go a little bit further. Just ask them questions, you know, and, and bring them to a point of where you can finally get to the point, well, uh, if you were to uh, actually die, let's say tonight, next week, next year, where, have you thought about where you might go? Is there a possibility where you might be heading? Most people don't even think about the afterlife. Or they assume that they're going to go to heaven. Well, if you hit them with the law... If they've already said, yeah, well, I have, uh, as far as my uh, religion is concerned, I have been really good. I've been pretty good. And we know what to do with that then, don't we? That's invariably what they're usually going to, to go with. A lot of different things that uh, you have to, to work, work with. But be, be fishers of men. You start fishing. And you might, you might hit on something. Something might hit on, on you there, right? An obedient church evangelizes. And it thrives on that. Disobedient church will dry up, and that dried up church then dies. And I'm thankful for the church that God has given us. I am blessed. But I don't ever want to see this church die. Because it's it's founded upon biblical principles. Every one of us are committed to God's truth. We want to live out that life to glorify Him. That's our total goal, really, to glorify God. And enjoy Him while we're here. But we don't want to be disobedient in not doing this great command right here. And I can't just tell you, hey, we've got to do this. But remember, it's the power of the Gospel, how it's affected you, and how the truth of the Scripture, the Holy Spirit, makes you desire to tell about this resurrected Lord. Against animosity. I mean, there, there, are, uh, 
This world is hostile to this. It doesn't want it. We're in the minority. But we've just seen the truth in here. <laughs> if you just joined us in the, in the time of Matthew. Of course, if you read your own scriptures, you know anyway, but just in this little book here. Well, he says, all nations. It's everybody. Uh, Matthew is the writer of Matthew. And Matthew is writing about the king. Matthew is a Jew. Most of the book was addressed to Jews, even though we get to read this in here, but we see it's very Jewish. He says, to all the nations. That means not just Jewish only. Oh, really? You're kidding me. We have to go to the Gentiles? Really? That was hard for the apostles to understand. It was hard for Peter to understand. <laughs> if you remember Acts chapter 10, and God had to give him some living examples, animals. You know, the dietary laws were all going to be broken there. You know, he was showing him something that was <laughs> really concrete to Peter, and he got the message finally whenever he delivered that message. Um, he says to baptize. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. The word is baptizo. It means to immerse in water. Uh, it symbolizes death, burial, resurrection. In Romans 6, 3 through 4, we are to reckon that we have been buried with Jesus in his death, and, uh, burial, and then we come to new life as a good picture of that. Of course, uh, as far as the physical aspects are concerned, when, when we do that, it, it, it shows that something has happened to us inwardly. It's an outward act. Uh, it has no sacramental benefit in the sense that it makes you saved. Uh, there are uh, some denominations in the body of Christ who believe in baptismal regeneration. The moment you are baptized, you then become a believer. That is absolutely false. Yeah. And so uh, I know we don't have any difficulty with that, but it's kind of interesting that people believe that it's, we're saved solely by grace, not by the fact that we have done something. Now it's because, it's because God came in and baptized us into it. It is an obedient act, though, that we want to do to show people. And of course, in, in Acts 2.38, as soon as Peter had preached the message, the people were so convicted and they said, well, what must we do? And Peter says, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is a promise. You're going to, it was identified. Baptism was identified with being a believer there because uh, it showed what it did. It was an out, outward act of uh, identification with Christ. It's synonymous with salvation. If you go through the book of Acts, uh, if you look in chapter 8, verse 38, Philip and the eunuch. The eunuch says, what hinders me from being baptized then? You, you've just given me the word of God. And, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And Philip and eunuch went down into the water and baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Uh, wow. That demonstrates that. If you look in chapter 9, verse 18, again, similar situation. Uh, this happens to be Saul, who had seen the light, you know, about his experience. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He was blinded. 
And he received his sight at once, and he arose, and what? Was baptized. Immediate obedience. This is right after he became a believer. It's an outward act of really something that has already happened. That's what it is. By the way, then he says, baptized in the name of the Father, what? And of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's not a formula to just say it and something magical happens. It's a truth that has been used all throughout the history of the church. And it's a statement that you have been united with the person of Christ. You are identified with Him. It's a beautiful picture. Just like uh, the Lord's Supper. We're commanded to do that too. It's a picture of how we've been put into Christ in, in that covenant. With the triune God that's involved here. The, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Baptism is not just done in one name. In Jesus' name only. And there are churches the Pentecostal Church of God, for instance, or the Jesus-only movement that's big. It's uh, on TV now. Uh, T.D. Jakes uh, is really one of those. Jesus' name only. A lot of uh, those particular ones. Uh, they don't believe in Trinity the way that we do it. They believe in modalism. And modalism says, well, he was the father at one time, then he became in the mode of Jesus, the Son, then he became in the mode of the Holy Spirit. So it's just really one person, and it's not three persons, uh, but they're very tricky in how they define. They say, oh yeah, we believe in the Trinity. No, they don't. That was a problem in the early church that was solved, and anybody who did not believe in the Trinity was kicked out of the church. Trinity is very important. That's a foundation of Christian principles. Uh, the, the triune God. And right here we see it. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How, how is name there plural? It's singular. The name of the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit. What's the deal with that? Well, the one name is not in separate names here. These are, uh, you know, not, not separate names. The name here in the singular means that all that God is. The name of the Lord. Praise God in the name of the Lord. Praise Him for all that He is and all that's what's behind Him and what He is about. What He represents. That's who God is. The name of this triune God. So, He says then to teach. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things. When one is enlisted, what happens when they're enlisted into the army? They're trained, aren't they? When you're enlisted into any kind of group or corporation or whatever, then you're trained in what to do. Uh, Frank just got a job recently uh, with Embark. And so they brought him in, but they just didn't let him go and say, okay, now, Frank, get to work. <laughs> Frank had to go through training. I'm not so sure. Are you still in training? You're still doing it, technically. Okay. They want to make sure that you know what they want you to do. It's just like any job. People are going to train you in what to, what to do there. That's an important thing. Or else you sit over there in a chair and go, what do I do? <laughs> There's a training. Well, that's, that's the idea of teaching here. Um, we, don't, we just don't go and give the gospel to people, but if they have an interest, then we start teaching them. And what greater privilege on all the earth, on all this planet, is to start telling them the things of the gospel. 
We're not talking official teachers here. We're talking about everybody is, is to teach this gospel. We're, we're called to call people to a life of obedience. Let's say, now, because of this, here's what the Lord, that's who He is, He expects of you because here's the power that He's given you. Because of this grace and His authority, now look at this. Here's what you'll want to do. Okay? It's not putting legalism, you can't do this, you can't do that, but it's showing them who He is. And it's not just making things easy for them to swallow, making the gospel palatable. You know, like the watered-down gospel of the day. He never told them that. He says, start teaching them. What? Well, I think the first thing to teach them is a high view of God. And I have a motto in this church. I think our motto is this. A high view of God and what? A high view of Scripture. That's our motto. We have a high view of God. That eliminates all the problems that we're focusing on for that moment and we're viewing Him and then we're looking at His Scripture. And then we can start being toned in to what, uh, what He's about. We're, we're to teach the holiness of God. That's where we start. We start with who God is, His greatness, His majesty, His awe. Louis Gideon does that in his videos. He's trying to get people the grasp of who God is. This is immense. And man, it can be exciting. Start talking about the creation of God and all the things inside. And science is discovering. Biology is discovering. And we can elaborate on that kind of stuff. We're to teach the depravity of man and that salvation is by grace only. Nothing else. And it's for eternity. And as a result of this, one will want to do good works. There's so many doctrines to teach. Paul said, as he wrote to the Ephesians, that he had not neglected to teach the whole, what? Counsel of God. There's a lot to teach. You can go through one book and you can get oodles of doctrines, teaching. Start them on the book of Ephesians. Show them where their place is at in Christ. That would be the first, one of the first books I'd want to get them to. Uh, look at a brand new Christian. Get them in the book of John. Tell them to read the book of John. Tell them to read seven chapters um, every night for one week. Then read the next section of seven chapters every night. at seven times. And then by the time you've gotten through 21 chapters, in three weeks, you've read the book of John how many times? Seven times. It starts to click once you've heard something. Repetition starts happening. That's, that's kind of how you teach the whole purpose of God is what we are to understand uh, from the foundations of the earth before that Romans 6.17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, before you became a Christian, you were a slave. Would you serve sin? Yet, look at this, you obeyed from the heart. What did they obey? That form of doctrine or what? Teaching to which you were delivered from. You were delivered out of that and then you obeyed it. And that's what Paul is saying there. Lastly, right at the end here. We're ready to finish Matthew here. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We're expected to do all the above. This is a command not just to me as a pastor. This is a command to each 
one of you that was just given here in Matthew 28. We cannot do them without the power of God. And if we're not relying on His power, don't do them. Don't even try it. He has to work through us. He wants to work through us, but desire to do it in His will. When He says, Lo, Lo, what is He saying there? Lo, I am with you. Well, it wasn't an apostle by the name of Lo, or Lowell. Short for Lowell, right? I have a cousin by the name of Lowell. Has anybody ever heard that name, Lowell? We have? Okay. It's an old name. Lowell's older than me. <laughs> Low means this. He's calling attention. Listen to this. Check this out. Pay attention to this. This is what's most important about all this. I'm about to say something I want you to pay attention to. I hope they've been paid attention. Do you think these guys are sleeping at the time? No. <laughs> and he sure wants them to grab this. I'm with you always. Remember in Matthew one twenty three, you shall name him Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? Oh, which translated means God with us. Does that give you assurance? Anytime you're sharing his good news, God's with you. Here at the end of Matthew, he's really saying the same thing. I am with you always. God is with you. He'll be with us, leading us, and empowering us. And that's how we get the power to do that. If I come up here and I do a message without the Holy Spirit, do you know I might as well just stay home? And I hope that that would never be. That's the first thing that I kind of keep remembering or throughout uh, the early morning before I come here. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I heard one pastor, when he walked up the steps, he would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Because Dennis really doesn't have anything to offer you outside of what this, this truth is. Dennis is, is really uh, empty in himself. But if this be the Word of God and by the Spirit of God, that's what's going to make an effect on all of us. And so I would, I would say we have to realize that, that, that Jesus is, is, is right with us. He'll always be with us, leading and empowering us. Makes me think of that great Psalm 46.1. What a promise. What a promise. God is our refuge and strength of very present help in trouble. He is with us to go out there and pull down the strongholds that the world is holding up there. Take the topic of evolution, right? Take the topic of abortion. You can go on and on and on. And that's a worldview. We have an answer to everything and almost everything is going to be upside down. All their political views, obviously, that's what happened to this nation, has been turned upside down. All the religious views, everything. And we have the topic to address it. It's just saying, okay, how can I get to that person? I have to go in with a lingo that they can understand to get attention and then finally get to the point where I really want to. You usually can't start with that. The continuance of the favor is this. Even to the end of the age. He says, hey, I'll be with you for a while. I'll be with you all the way up to the time that I come back. You're going to be there. Right now, as you're worshiping here today, He is residing in you. 
And He's right there with us as a body. And as we go out of here. And He says, Amen. Truly, truly, let it be. This is so. This is the truth. Matthew has presented us the gospel of Jesus Christ, the King. Father, we thank You for this morning that You have empowered us to worship You, to pay attention to Your Word. You've given us instructions that are to be taken seriously because You have the authority. Based upon what You have done, and You've taken the time to prove to us we should desire to be obedient, desiring to give the truth that the lost world does not understand. Help us to open some people up. Starting even today, Lord, we want to do that. It is an honor and a privilege. Thank You for the honor and the privilege of worshiping You here, being amongst Your people, and just sharing the things of the Lord that uh, You have done with us. And we pray this in Your Son's name. Amen.